Jesus called himself the I Am, which is more than just a description of who he is in the current moment. It's a window into the future and a map to our own life's journey. Turns out, the best is yet to come. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Tower Hill podcast. Wherever or whenever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We are at the tail end of our summer series called I Am, where Pastor Jason helps us to discover what Jesus really believed about the scripture, about himself, and why that matters for our daily life right now. Today we're talking about closure and how endings might just be a beginning. So let's listen in right now. Well, good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. What a blessing to get to be with you again. I'm Pastor Jason. And if you're just joining us for the first time or first time in a long time, we're in the middle of this sermon series called I Am, Revealing the True Identity of Jesus. What it is, is we're looking at the I am sayings of Jesus in John's gospel. There are seven times where Jesus says, I am, and then followed by uh, the rest of the sentence. And we're unpacking what that means and why it's important for how we understand Jesus and how we understand ourselves. I mean, I believe that the more you get to know Jesus or the more that Jesus becomes clearer in your life, the more your identity becomes clear, the more you are figuring out who you are called to be and what God is calling you to do. So I think it's really, really important to talk about these sayings of Jesus, these I am statements. So if you missed it, or if you're just getting caught up now, I want to encourage you to maybe go back a few episodes and to listen and get caught up with the I am sayings of Jesus. We've been talking about how God, all throughout Scripture, would use signs and would use different displays of power in order to get people's attention. But to remember that the sign isn't the thing itself. The sign's not what's most important. It's what is that sign pointing to? Signs aren't the thing themselves. They're they're just pointing to the thing, right? (laughs) Danger, thin ice. The sign isn't the thin ice. It's pointing to the thin ice. Signs and miracles, as we see them in the New Testament, are meant to point to the presence and power of God among his people. And why does he do that? So that they'll believe, so that they'll trust, so that it'll do enough to get their attention so they will discover who God really is. And of course, we've been looking the last few weeks about you know one of the biggest times that a miracle led to this was the burning bush, and Moses encounters this burning bush, which was the sign. But That wasn't the thing itself. It was just getting his attention so that he could hear God's call upon his life. And then God self-identifying God's own name, Yahweh. And this was such a big moment, but talk about, you know, when God's identity becomes clear, so does ours. That's exactly what happened to Moses, right? Uh, Is that he found out who God was and he found out who he was called to be at the same time. I think there's a version of that playing out in our lives right now. I think for a lot of us, we're just sort of wondering, like, what's my purpose? What's God's plan for me? Or what is God's next thing for me? I was talking with someone after service last week, and, you know, this person was telling me, like, yeah, you know, I thought I had it all clear, and then I retired. And then it's like, I don't know, it wasn't so clear anymore. I'm really not sure what my purpose is or what I'm being called to do. We all go through these seasons where we lack clarity, 
And I think if we take these seasons to drill down into a deeper relationship with God, clarity's sure to come. Maybe not all at once, maybe not exactly how and when we want it, but I think it's sure to come. Because God's not a God of confusion. God's a God of clarity. So, what did God say to Moses? He gave his divine name, Yahweh, which means uh, I am. I am who I am. And we talked, we unpacked uh, the name Yahweh in earlier uh, episodes of this series. So I want to encourage you to go back and listen. But the important thing is that when the Hebrew Bible was translated into ancient Greek sometime a couple centuries before Jesus um, and, and was adopted by the people, they translated Yahweh into this phrase, ego eimi, I am, in the Greek. And so now when we see in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, see the New Testament, when Jesus is saying, I am, he's using this construction, ego eimi, And so we are led to believe that he is invoking the divine name when he says those I am statements. I am. He doesn't just saying I am, but I am the I am. And there are seven times in John's gospel where he says this. So just for quick review, we've looked at a few. We started with I am the bread of life, and then I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate. I am the light of the world. And then last week, I am the resurrection and the life. So as we head into today's I am statement, uh, I want to first talk about ceremonies. We're a people of ceremonies, aren't we? I don't know if we really know all about what's going to happen with the Tokyo Olympics. I know that there's a lot of stuff going on. And of course, it was delayed a year because of the pandemic. And uh, just recently heard that fans aren't going to be able to be live watching because of the situation of the pandemic. And I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? And these Olympics, I mean, never thought an Olympic Games would get moved or get changed. But here's one thing I can tell you. No matter what the Olympics look like, I could guarantee three things. An opening ceremony, competition of some kind, and a closing ceremony. And in fact, the closing ceremony might even be more important than the opening ceremony. It's this way of giving us closure on all of these things. But we are people who long for closure, aren't we? I was thinking about summer camp. Uh, my kids go to the summer camp in the Poconos, and I mean, every week they make a big deal about the closing. They actually don't do a big opening ceremony, but they have a big closing ceremony, and they show a video of all the highlights of what happened that week because there's something about the closure that helps us move on to the next thing. Closure is everything. I mean, we see it in camps. I mean, I'm about to go visit a camp that's unfortunately most likely going to be literally closing. And there's a grieving process, and, and I need some closure on that. It's what happens when people pass away. I need, we need closure on that. And not just any closure. We want positive closure, right? We want positive closure on things in our lives. And we kind of crave it and long for it. You know, like when you're with a special group of people, you're like, this group of people is never going to be together in this same way again. We need to memorialize this moment. We need to, I don't know, get some positive closure around it so that I can move on and not be so tempted to look back. You know, what's interesting about our brains is that our brains chemically reward us for closing a loop, closing a story. Rewards us with dopamine right? Makes us feel good. Every time you solve a crossword puzzle, (laughs) every time you resolve a problem or 
put an ending on a story, it gives you a little hit of dopamine. It's a chemical reward for good closure. I think we're wired this way for a reason. I think it even goes deeper than just our brains. I think it's with our spirit, with our soul. We are a people who long for closure. If you don't believe me, just think about closure that we get in like TV series finales. I mean, your television show will be remembered forever by how good or bad your series finale is. Like for example, series finale of MASH. I mean, I was a li- I'm a little young for MASH, but I remember it being on. But the MASH series finale is still listed as one of the top series finales of all time. Most beloved, most satisfying, right? A positive closure. And then you look at some other TV series, like one that I was into, Lost. That continually ranks as one of the absolute worst Closing series finales, or, or maybe some of you who were into uh, The Sopranos, right? We heard a lot about The Sopranos finale. It was very divisive. But you're remembered forever by how things end. And how things end determine your ability to kind of move on. Here's where I'm going with this. There was a moment when the disciples were kind of together in a festive way for a last time. And it didn't really end on a high note. It was the Last Supper. And after three years of ministry together, Jesus basically kind of calls out there or he predicts that, well, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me and everybody else is going to fall away. Like, I think the disciples were kind of hanging their heads at this. And like, he couldn't leave them like that. He had more to say, right? He was about to give them this really important, final, positive closure. And that's where we get in John's gospel him washing the disciples' feet. This is a moment that really, I think, just captures the beating heart of God in that he he was willing to bend down and wash our feet. He was willing to love us so much that he was willing to get his hands dirty to make us clean. That's the thing. I mean, I feel like it's a representation of, of God incarnate himself, right? God was willing to get his hands dirty, so to speak, to make us clean. To do what we couldn't do for ourselves, he could do it for us. It's just like the most incredible act of love and humility. And I mean, God deciding to lay down his power in order to be overpowered, but then somehow to demonstrate his ultimate power uh, in the cross. I mean, incredible. But this was like a closing ceremony, I think. Right? It was like a closing ceremony. where they, We're not all going to be together in this way again. And we know that after the resurrection, he's together with his disciples. But it's never like this exact thing again. It feels like a moment to sort of memorialize or to pay attention to and to get some closure on. And I think he turns, what Jesus does is he turns kind of maybe the downer of how the Last Supper ended and gives them this profound and incredible hope of what's to come. And in a way, too, I think foot washing, and we talk about miracles, I think this foot washing is every bit a sign of God's power and presence. Maybe it's not a miracle, or maybe you would say it is. Maybe it's miraculous that the Lord of heaven and earth would wash our feet. But either way, I think this is a sign of God's presence and power in our life as well. John chapter 14, so he washes their feet, and he says the following, right? Knowing how the Last Supper kind of ended, here's where he continues. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
I mean, my goodness, shouldn't we just paste that on our walls and put that in a refrigerator and everywhere that we can see it? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, and here it is, here's our statement for this week. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, he's saying, Thomas, you know the way because you literally know the way. I am, I am the way. You know me, so you're never going to be lost. You're always going to know the way to the Father because you know me. And he's trying to get them to understand that this is bigger than all of you realize. Right? I am the living, breathing embodiment of God. I am the Word made flesh. I am the Father right here with you. And you don't even realize it. I am the way. I am revealing the Father through everything I say and do. Thomas, you already know the way. Just follow me. I'm going to make it easy for you. You follow behind me. You don't have to figure this out for yourselves. You follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. You know exactly where I am going. Now, there's some theological stuff playing in the background of this that I think is worth mentioning. I don't want to make too much of it because I think the statement of Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life stands on its own. But I want to unpack it a little bit in this way. So you've perhaps heard of the Torah. The Torah is usually considered to be those first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, also known as the books of Moses. And in the Torah, there are things that are talking about how do you find the way of God? How do you follow in God's way? How do you follow the way of the Father? And it talks about the Torah as the way to do that, God's sort of instruction book on how you do it. And if you can focus on and meditate on God's law in the Torah and all these things, you will know the way the Father you know, wants to take you. You will know the way. So the Torah was really the means by which you understood the way. Just a couple of scriptures that talk about the way, the truth, and the life, right? Psalm 1-6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Psalm 1 spends a lot of time talking about life is about going to one of two ways. You go the way of the wicked, or you go the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is the one that leads to God. And, and actually, Psalm 1 is meant to be sort of like a guide for how you're supposed to read the rest of the Psalms. It's like, this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is all about finding the way of God. And this is what it means to follow in God's way, the way of the righteous. So the, those, the Pentateuch or the Torah was all about um, the way, finding the way of God. Psalm 119, verse 43, also talks about God's word, not just being the way, but also being truth itself. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. Right? That God's word is truth. It is the truest thing that has ever been uttered every time God speaks. 
It is perfect truth. And so this word of God, the way of God, is also the embodiment of truth. It is reality itself. It is the way things are. And then we see in Deuteronomy, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. There are those scholars who say that to understand the Old Testament or to understand the Torah is to understand the way, the truth, and the life. These are things that have been talked about for a very long time and a very long time before Jesus. But Jesus, I I think, is making a very clear connection here. That, you know, you all think the Torah is the way, the truth, and the life. But, But let me make this even clearer for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's he mean? Remember in John's gospel early on, John chapter 1, it says this, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jump to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words... Jesus is the Torah with skin on. Jesus is God's word, God's way, God's truth, God's life in the flesh. The word became flesh. So Jesus, from a theological point of view, has every right to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the living, breathing Torah, the living, breathing word of God. Let me put it this way. It's sort of like if you're going to a department store of some kind. You know, let's say I'm, I go up to Eaton Town, I go up to Best Buy, and I need to find, you know, a left-handed doohickey. That's <laughs> the technical term. And I, I don't know, that just came out just now. So, so I need the left-handed doohickey. And I, and I go to the, to the customer service person there. I say, yeah, you know, I'm looking for a left-handed doohickey. And, and what do you think is more effective? Option number one. Yeah, it's over there, I think, in aisle 17, somewhere like halfway down. Okay, like, I got so many questions. Where's aisle 17? What's... I could probably find it in there, but it's going to take some work. And then in the end, there's no guarantee. I mean, I might miss it. I might have to come back to the customer service person again. That may have happened before. Or you go to the customer service person and you say, yeah, I need the left hand to do hickey. They're like, sure, let me take you to it. First of all, it's it's better customer service, right? Because it's about making it personal and clearer. I think this is what Jesus did. Maybe it's an oversimplification, but I think it makes the point. Jesus made it personal and clearer what it means to be the way, the truth, or to follow the way, the truth, and the life. He says, if you really want to know what this looks like, it looks like me. Follow me. I am the way to the Father. I'm I'm the Father revealed to you fully. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. He continues. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Right? So he's being very clear here. I and the Father are one. So when he says, I am the I am, that's exactly what he means. It's sort of like... uh, (laughs) It's kind of like, you know that show Undercover Boss? (laughs) So it's like, uh, you know, you think that uh, Gary is the 
the new employee, you know, there to flip burgers, but really he owns the franchise. And you find out at the end, and and you know the folks are like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea you were actually this whole time. You were the, you were the head of the franchise." I, and then the, you know, going back, I hope I acted okay. But listen, Jesus is saying, "Look, as you've known me, Thomas, and everybody else, by the way, as you've known me, it was the Father the whole time. You know the Father because you know me. You had no idea, did you? But now I'm telling you, I'm making it clear. I'm revealing it to you." I've been with you the whole time. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So you see what he's saying here again? He's saying, at least believe based on the signs, right? That's the proof of my power, of the Father's power and presence. I wouldn't be able to do the things that I've done if it weren't the Father living in me. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. What's Jesus referring to? Of course, he's saying, you're going to see greater things. Than these. Like If you think these signs were great to show the Father's presence, just you wait. And what he's referring to is, After he died and rose again, he made a way for us to experience the Father through the Holy Spirit firsthand. You think these are great? You're going to be the living, breathing miracle. You're going to be the living, breathing sign of the Father's grace and love. You're going to have a relationship with God. You're going to be able to call upon God and access God as if you were me, as if you were a son or daughter that's what you're going to be. I mean, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing what he's saying, but you see what he's doing? Listen, you may have been a bit downtrodden at these coming hard times that I told you about, about denial and betrayal, but know this, greater things are ahead. Greater things are ahead, and because I'm going to the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come and will be with you forever. In other words, these will be hard times for sure, but the best is still yet to come. So what does it mean for us in our everyday living if we know the way, the truth, and the life? What does that mean if if we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, I think a couple of things. I mean, many things. Here's a few to think about. The first is, we can know the Father directly. Jesus, the living Torah, makes God fully known. God is not hidden from us anymore because of Jesus. God was revealed certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, but He was revealed fully in Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh, the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. 
that's a real big question, right? Can I actually know God? Can God be known? The answer in the Christian faith is absolutely, because God chose to make himself known in Jesus, in the incarnation. So if we know the way, we know the Father directly. The second is this, we are never lost. Pun sort of intended on the bad series finale, but <laughs> we, are, we are never lost. We are profoundly and eternally found by God. We are seen. We are known. We might feel a little scattered. We might feel a little cloudy in, uh, in where we are and maybe the steps that we're trying to take in our life, but we are never lost. We know the way. The way is not just about what I'm going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. It's about What's my trajectory in the kingdom of God? I'm never lost. Never lost. The third is we have access to where, he, where Jesus is going. If we know that he's the way, the truth, and life, what does he say? In my Father's house are many rooms. I prepared a place for you. You are invited. You have access that your sin had previously denied from you but I'm making a way. And then fourth, that even though things might seem hard now, the best is yet to come. You're going to see greater things than these. You know, all that talk about closure and ceremony and story in our brains. Think about this spiritually. When we know the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Him, you know what happens? Our story with God is fully and finally resolved, like a spiritual dopamine hit. That piece of our soul that had been missing all that time is finally filled. This was my experience when I came to faith, and I know for a lot of you it's been your experience too. Uh, it's been described as a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. It doesn't stop us trying to fill it from anything and everything else, but the point is, it is it's God's hole to fill. And when he does, it's like everything is made right. The loop is closed. The story has finished. We are completed in relationship with Jesus. How about you? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have no idea. That's okay. I want to encourage you this. You get to know the I am. You get to know the real Jesus. And if you're brave enough, he'll help you get to know the real you and who you're called to be. The best is yet to come. Amen. Amen.